And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Happy July 15th to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page, at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred, Daily Garden Tips, lots of snark, and the uh, Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on where you can find information uh, not only at the Facebook page but also at uh, Twitter at Farmer Fred and FarmerFred.com, information about Farmer Fred's Ride for the Kids. What's that all about? On October 6th, I'm going to ride my bike 100 miles to raise funds for the Sacramento Children's Home and their Crisis Nursery Program. And uh, I would ask you to keep this worthwhile cause going. We need to protect our children, be they citizens of the United States, be they immigrants. It doesn't matter. They're children. They need a safe haven. And when they need the safe haven here in the Sacramento area, that safe haven is the Sacramento Children's Home and their Crisis Nursery Center for children under the age of five. And uh, anyway, more information about that and how you can donate available at FarmerFred.com, at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, and uh, Twitter.com slash, or at FarmerFred. All right. Steve Zion is here. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> he, he's already <laughs> nervous about having to stand in front of 3,000 degrees of a blast furnace to pound metal later today at the state fair. I'm actually looking forward to it. Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I've stood in front of something that's 3,000 degrees. You're going to be blacksmithing. I will be blacksmithing. I will be putting metal into a forge and heating it up to about 3,000 degrees where it'll turn nice and yellow. And then I will pull it out and hopefully not burn myself when in doing so and uh, take it over and uh, pound it and uh, make objects out of it, make things out of it. How long do you have to make objects? After you've heated this hunk of metal, and what sort of metal is it? Steel. Steel. Okay, yep. so you've heated this a, steel. A mild steel. All right, so you've heated this. By the way, there's going to be a tariff on steel, in case you hadn't heard. Yeah. The... Uh, so, so that's why when people stand in front of the uh, blacksmith booth, we're going to we're taking donations now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, how long do you have to work with steel to mold it into the shape you want after you've heated it up before it cools down to the point it won't bend anymore? It, it, it depends on the size of the steel. A very small piece will cool off very very quickly. Mm-hmm. A larger piece will hold on to that heat for a longer period of time. Oh, really? So oh, a, yeah, a larger, a thicker piece. A thicker that- piece. Yeah. Uh, you can pound, and it, and because it's thicker, it takes a whole lot more pounding. Yeah. To 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 bend it into the shape that you want, but so, yeah, it'll it'll hold the heat. I mean, one of the questions is because a lot of times we're we're holding this metal with you know our hands, um, because I don't do blacksmithing often enough. I wear gloves, um, but they you know they always ask, well, doesn't the heat travel up the the metal? And yes, it does. But, you know, the the steel that we're using, it does not move up very, very quickly. If we keep, you know, if I'm working on a piece and typically I'm using, you know, a a steel rod that's maybe a quarter of an inch uh, in diameter. And if I'm, you know, pounding it and heating it up and pounding it and heating it up long enough, uh, it will get hot to where my hand is. And then I'll 
uh, put it in some water, and it'll cool off very, very quickly in water. Um, but it'll, it it takes a while. I and would think that water gets hot. A little bit, yeah. but, you know. Okay. So learn about blacksmithing later today at Cal Expo at the State Fair. You'll be out there from, what, noon to 4? Or... Uh, noon to 8. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Full day. Full day. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When he's not doing that, he's Sacramento's organic advocate offering organic gardening advice to thousands of people uh, here in the Sacramento area. Yeah, and if you have a garden question and you're at the State Fair, you know, you can come over to the blacksmith booth. Uh, we're just down the street from the uh, Master Gardener's booth on, on the farm. Behind buildings B and C. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it, and if you've never been to the farm, you need to go to the farm. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful. All right, so that's, uh, you'll be doing that today at yep. the State Fair. Yes. All right. Did they tell you it's going to be a warm day, 99, the expected high in that, uh, Sacramento? Like I said, it, that's cool. When you're, when you're standing okay. in front of a fire, 3,000 degrees, you walk, you walk away from the fire, it's like being in air conditioning. Tomorrow, 100, the expected high. Tuesday, 102. Wednesday, 98. Thursday, 96. It's, it's July in Sacramento. What do yeah. you expect? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, the tomatoes are growing. Actually, the, actually, actually, he said for a fourth time, tomatoes don't grow when it's 100 degrees. They rest. Yeah. Flowers drop yeah. off. They, they don't do much developing. They no. slow down. Yeah. The ideal temperature, if you want to live in an ideal tomato climate, the temperature would not get over 90, nor would it fall below 60. Yeah, but we don't have weather like that. None I can think of offhand. I'm sure there's pockets somewhere where the weather might be like that. I'm looking into my pants and uh, my, not, pack, my not pockets. those pockets. Oh. All right. Terry's running the board today. If you've got a garden question, give us a call, 916-576-1578 or toll-free, 866-331-8255. It says here we will be talking about how plants communicate with each other. Can soil communicate with plants? Sacramento's organic advocate, Steve Zion, offers up his research on the topic. That's okay. what it says. So we'll do that. But let's uh, go to the phones first. All right? Sure. Oh, Garden Grappler at 11 o'clock as well. John and Turlock, how the heck are you? I'm doing just fine, just fine, just fine. All right. Hey, uh, I, I have a, a question about fruit size, and uh, I, it's a complex subject, I know, but uh, I, I, I haven't figured out yet exactly what the best thing is for fruit size, you know, because I, I have you know, virtually every kind of you know, fruit tree, you can apples and oranges and things like that. And it's a mystery to me. It's never a mystery to me, you know, from year to year and whatever. I mean, some sometimes you you have a bad spring, it's too cold, it's too wet, so you don't get a lot of fruit. And that I understand. You know, that, that you know, one year you'll have a great crop, next year you won't, and, you know, on some mature trees. But I have a lot of three- and four-year-old uh, grapevines and, and fruit trees and things like that now. And I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what is the what are the keys to getting the biggest size fruit? Because I have like a nectarine tree. It's 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 got you know it's probably got thirty forty you know not not a whole lot, but they're all small. And then uh, I don't have any pluots, but they're all you know good size. And in grapes, I've got I you know I thin them out and whatever. But in you know, two years in a row, they're really small clusters. So anyhow, just just talk to me about. Uh, you know, what you believe is the best thing to do, you know, watering, nutrients, and uh, thinning, and, and what are the keys to getting 
for those kinds of things to get the the biggest fruit. In a bizarro world at this point, I'd be trying to sell you Farmer Fred's Magic Water, but I won't be. (laughs) Um, I I think, uh, I tell you what, I'll talk about grapes and Steve can talk about stone fruits. So with grapes, to get the bigger fruits, you're exactly right. You need to thin out the bunches. All right. So you want to thin out the bunches so that there is, boy, at least 8 to 12 inches between each bunch. Then you want to trim the tails off the bunch so that you just got a, a sort of a clump. It doesn't taper down into a tail. And then the oh, okay. third thing that a lot of grape growers do to increase the size of their grapes is to basically score the main stem with a special knife to sort of stress it in order to make bigger fruit. And, of course, they use things like gibberic acid or whatever to help increase fruit size, but that just makes them bizarro fruits in my Gibberellic mind. Gibberellic acid? Uh, gibber, whatever, yeah, gibberellic <laughs> acid. Thank you. What did I say? Gibraltar acid? I don't know. I don't know. All right. But anyway, uh, yeah, but uh, and the other thing, too, is fertilization time with grapes in May they've discovered is the best time to fertilize grapes. And, and when you say fertilize, I mean, I all I use on all of my trees and everything like that is chicken manure. That's all I've done. I usually use it in the fall. But are you saying that May would be a good time to throw an extra thing? And I use drip, so I'd have to really soak it in if I was going to use that. But are you talking about a, let's say, a granular uh, organic fertilizer would be better than, than that kind of stuff? Yeah, if you have a, a water-soluble um organic fertilizer made for a drip system you could use that in may yep and there are some available i know peaceful valley farm supply sells uh fertilizers intended for drip systems yes that are organic so that would work uh but switching gears quickly here to uh stone fruit are you thinning the fruit uh, yeah, well, I mean, in some cases I am. I, my nectarine tree, everything, I mean, it's an eight-foot tree, so it's a mature It's it's a mature tree, but they were all spread out, so there was no thinning to do it. I mean, they were, I mean, it's all the fruit was, you know, just spaced, you know, high, low, mm-hmm. wide, and, and whatever, and, uh, and uh, you know, so that was fine. And then I have plum trees where I did a lot of thinning on those, and, uh, you know, they were still small, but they're still sort of immature trees. And then I have another uh, Santa Rosa plum that, you know, had hundreds and hundreds and right. hundreds, and they had lots of big ones and lots of small ones. So, and even though I thin those out, so. Yeah, thinning is very important to have that six inches of space between each remaining piece of fruit in order to get good fruit size. It helps to to have the tree located in an area that's going to get full sun. And the less stresses on any tree is going to help increase fruit size. So so proper irrigation. Right, proper irrigation and fertilization. Fertilization Fertilization for stone fruits, I think, is best accomplished in August because that's when it's setting its buds for the following year. So, again, just... just so I can say if if I'm adding if I you know add uh, am I better to add a granular organic type fertilizer or is is chicken manure you know good enough you know to 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 do that I mean I'm just asking you as a, in general for bigger fruit size am I going to get better results you you will uh, get you will get better results with with materials that have more than just nitrogen chicken the chicken manure is primarily nitrogen and, and some okay. phosphorus yeah, it's like what okay. 211 yeah mm-hmm. and um you know it doesn't you know you you want lots of trace minerals i mean the ideal thing it you know if you're if you're really wanting to to get the maximum size fruit is to test your soil and find out what nutrients you need 
get that complete soil test done because yeah. it, it could be a micronutrient. It could be a, a, the, the magnesium calcium balance. It, it could be yeah. any number of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could say some, some trees have a big, I mean, they're all in the same area, all get the same amount of water, all get the same amount of sunlight. So they're all in the same area and, you know, the same kind of soil and all that kind of good. So, and like I say, some, you got good sized fruit and others you you don't and and so that's that's why it's it's puzzling to me well a soil test would solve a lot of that puzzle and, yeah and and uh, you know when you're talking in orchard you know the soil might look the same but it can it can be quite different from one area to, to another all you've got to do is you know you can go online and look up soil maps and sure. and and they have you know relatively distinctive borders and and you know, I had one client where I was doing a soil test for them, and they had one kind of soil in their front yard and a totally different soil in their backyard. Yeah. And and so you can have different soils, but until you know what your soil really needs, you know, it, it you're not going to maximize your production because you're not fertilizing in, appropriately. There is a good okay. website, uh, and actually, it's an app for uh, your smartphone. It's called Soil Web. And it was developed by UC Davis, and it will tell you exactly what you're standing on. Yeah. You go outside, you stand in your garden, you bring up the Soil Web app, and it'll tell you the exact details of the type of soil you're standing on. Yeah, okay. It's pretty amazing. Right, sounds good. All right. Uh, good luck, John. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, bye. Terry's nervous. We need to take a break. Okay. Or else, oh, there's trouble to pay. It's Get <laughs> Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back to the program. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Somewhere beneath the picture of Wilbur and Mr. Ed. Uh, The picture of Wilbur and Mr. Ed is on Facebook today because our guest, Steve Zion, not only talks to horses, but also he eavesdrops on plants and soil. I I try to yes. And I, I you know they they I think that they potentially speak our language, but we don't speak theirs. Just like dolphins. Yeah. All right. so, so we'll talk about that later. Well, there's the highlight of the show. <laughs> All right. All right. Email. Uh, somebody named G H writes in and says. Here's a question that's a bit of a challenge, but if anyone can answer it, it will be you too. Well, you're you're very kind, G.H., but anyway. <laughs> can you think of what part of the United States outside of, outside of California has a gardening climate most similar to that of the Sacramento Valley? Well, what makes up the climate of the Sacramento Valley? You've got dry summers, wet winters. It's fairly low altitude it's low humidities for the most part it's a long growing season um it's and you try to match that up with another portion of the country uh, nothing crosses my brain nope there is no no such place yeah th- there in, might in be, the united states yeah. in the world yes oh yeah because of the, the california climate is considered a mediterranean type of climate and what are some of the other areas of the world that have a mediterranean type of climate well the areas around the mediterranean that's a clue would be one yes 
um, parts of Chile, mm-hmm. the country Chile or Chile, Chile, and um, parts of Australia. And yeah. isn't there a portion of South Africa as well? I think yes, there yes, is. Yeah. yes, yes. There is, yeah. and um, part of India, the, the really the, the southern, the southwest coast of India. Huh. Okay, you'd think it would be really humid there, but I guess not. Okay. So, but in outside of, but in the United States, uh, this is it. Yeah, I think we may be it with the combination of all the factors that talked about there. Uh, the deserts are basically too dry or too high of an altitude, although they would match, say, in humidity levels. Uh, Florida has way high humidity and summer rain, something we don't have here. Um, and it rained last week, I think. What sprinkles? Six, six, six drops, seven yeah. drops. The uh, yeah, that's the Arizona monsoon season remnants <laughs> that came up this way. So basically, yeah, we we are unique, I think, in the United States for having this climate that can be basically the uh, the salad bowl, the fruit basket, and uh, the dairy capital of the world. Well, Wisconsin's the dairy capital. Come on now. No, California is. And well, and, and there was just an article that all sorts of Wisconsin dairies are closing up. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's dairies closing up all over the place. Yeah. And it, Well, listen to the KSTE Farm Hour for more details about that, really. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. Good. Every Sunday, noon to one, yeah. or available as a podcast. Um, so, anyway, that's what I know about California's climate versus the rest of America. Although, I was amazed. One time I did a bike ride that went from Lake Tahoe to Baker, Utah. So basically across Nevada on Highway 50. By the way, don't ever ride your bike on Highway 50 in, <laughs> in Nevada. And I'll tell you why. Because you have to stay in the traffic lane. Because if you try to get over on the shoulder, it's all of a rumble strip. And it would be like riding on cobbles, if you will. Yeah. So you're kind of forced to stay in the main road until a big truck comes by. Then you're forced onto the rumble strip. Well, you're forced by because the the wind just blows you over there. Well, the wind, the crosswinds uh, crossing Nevada are notorious in the afternoons. So those are pretty bad. And it seems like you're always climbing. Even though it doesn't look like you're in the mountains, you are. And you are climbing even though it's such a gradual climb that it's just, and there's nothing to look at. (laughs) It's desert. Yeah. All right. So don't do that. All right. Well, there's there's desert to look at. Yeah, there's desert to look at, and there's, there's always. I mean, it's like people. Well, there's no weather. There's always weather. Yes. Just like there's, you know, assuming that you're not blind, there's always things to look at. It might, it might be the same thing from where you are till you know the horizon, but there's still something I, I there. I think what I was trying to get at was that while bike riding across Nevada in Fallon, Nevada was a very active farm scene, if you will, growing all sorts of crops. It was like verdant green around Fallon, which means they have a source of water. And I was wondering, well, I wonder how much they can grow here. And it seems like in Fallon, it's the desert, but it's a a lush, verdant desert. Yeah. So that might be the closest thing I could think of to a Sacramento Valley-like climate. Yeah. But even then, you're at 3,000 feet. As opposed to here, yeah. 300 feet or yeah, 200 feet. Probably, probably might snow there in the wintertime. All right. Uh, email? No, let's take a break, and then we'll get into the, the email question of the day. Okay. And we'll do that. Donna from Fairplay asks a very interesting question, and we will delve into the secret life of plants. When we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. 
You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Steve Zion from Living Resources Company, organic consultant to the Sacramento area and beyond for decades. Uh, Living Resources still has a phone number. 916-726-5377. And you are no longer lifting heavy bags of organic fertilizers. You basically tell people this is what you need to do. Yes. I'm a consultant and uh, do soil testing. Fine. And answer garden questions. And answer lots of garden questions. All right. Like from Donna from Fairplay, who writes in, who is pondering the secret life of plants. She says, I know that plants under stress send out signals to insects, and I've heard that plants communicate with, with each other through the soil via roots or chemicals or some other mysterious means. How do they communicate and with which plants? Only relatives or all of its plant neighbors? And what does that mean for solo plants in containers? If happy, healthy plants are the goal, are plants more likely to thrive with more than one plant in the container? And since there are lists of companion plants available, are there also lists of enemy plants? I, the, the enemy plant list, I tr- I've looked, tried to look that up, and I don't see a lot of that. Um, I would avoid poison oak. Well, that's with people. I mean, yes. it's, that's not you know, right. I, I, you know, other other plants. It's an enemy to me. Yeah, um, but it, I mean, that's a real interesting topic. I mean, we're just starting to learn about what's going on underneath our feet. Um, as as you said on the other other radio program o- over there, over there, yeah. Um, that you always often hear me say that we know more about you know what's going on billions and billions of light years away out in outer space than we do what's underneath our feet. It's the final frontier. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And we are you know when I went to college, that was you know better living through chemistry. There's nothing in the soil that's alive that's going to do anything. And did they really say that? Basically, yes, yeah. they did. That soil and, and, was and, and an inert object. They, soil an inert object, and that I mean, almost all my A classes were, were like that because I always was asking. Almost every class was asking about this organic thing and that organic thing, and getting them very irritated and saying, and they would say, "There's nothing alive in the soil that matters." And even though you went to the Berkeley of the Midwest, yes, the University of Wisconsin, yes, yes, yes. Um, I, that was the way it was taught everywhere. Um, with, you know, there were a couple, there might be, or have been a couple of people in one or two universities around the world that were looking into the soil biology. But now we're, we're realizing that the, there are lots of beneficial critters in the soil. Uh, the ones that we know the most about in reference to communication uh, are what's called mycorrhizal fungi. And it's a, uh, a spe- specific type of fungi. Uh, mycorrhizae means fungus root, and they have a mutually beneficial relationship between the two of them. Um, the mycorrhizal fungi actually attach themselves to the root, and then they go out and extend way beyond the root. And the root is able to obtain moisture and nutrients from the mycorrhizal fungi. So they're basically extending the root system of, the, of that plant as far as the ability to obtain water and nutrients, and the plants provide a little bit of uh, carbohydrates to the pl- to the uh, microscopic organism. Now, also through the this hypha, through these you know connections, uh, fr- they they you know these mycorrhizal fungi attach to numerous kinds of plants. Um, some of them of the same species, some of them not. 
Um, and uh, we have discovered, I, won't, I shouldn't say we, scientists have discovered, uh, that the plants uh, actually can send signals, whether they be chemical signals or electrical signals, which is kind of like what we use in our telephone lines and Wi-Fi, um, I think, um, to communicate with other plants. Um, there's a, a really, really good book, um, one of my favorite books. It's called The Hidden Life of Trees that talks about plants communicating with each other through the mycorrhizal fungi, as well as through direct contact when the roots touch. And uh, they've d- discovered now that um, some plants will actually be able to uh, take care of small trees, for example. Uh, the small trees at the bottom of, of the forest, uh, for example, aren't getting a whole lot of light, so they're not getting enough carbon they're not, because they're not a- able to photosynthesize very much. And the larger plants actually will, through the, the soil biology, transfer carbon to these smaller trees so that they can survive. They've also discovered um, that there are indications that when the trees are making the, these donations of carbon, they can actually determine which of the baby trees are from their own seed, that they're their babies, and they will give their babies more nutrients and more carbon than trees that are not part of their family. But they still communicate, though, with plants in other species. Yes. Yeah, it, that's what I find interesting. You would think it would be very segregated that, for instance, redwoods would only you know, communicate with other redwood trees. But no, it, it, if there's a pest problem, one of the ways uh, that this is communicated to other plants is through the roots. Th- through the roots? Through the air. And through the air, yeah. Um, Plants will get, you know, they exude chemicals through their roots. They exude chemicals through their um, leaves, mm-hmm. and uh, and those chemicals and the will uh, the plants can plants can smell, plants can taste. Um, the plants, you know, the, let's say this one plant is being attacked by aphids, it will give off um, an aroma, if you will, a gas uh, to, and that will gas will be picked up by other plants. Uh, and those plants will say, oh, there are aphids in the area, and then that, that plant will start producing chemicals that will help fight off the aphids. What sort of chemicals? I don't know. Okay. But I mean, this, this, this is really new, and, and I, I have not seen yeah. any articles. I, I mean, I'm not reading the scientific journal. Well, I wonder if it's also a case of not only exuding some sort of chemicals, but maybe somehow increasing its uptake of water or air, or somehow invigorating itself to well, protect well, I'm, from attack. I'm, I mean, one of the, one of the things that they do is, for example, if the plant needs phosphorus, mm-hmm. um, it will exude chemicals through the roots to stimulate uh, specific um, soil biology that will make phosphorus available. Um, if they are, for example, being attacked by the root knot nematode, where there's this little worm-like creature eating the root of the plant, the plant will exude a chemical that will tell this specific fungi to produce these little rings. Then these little rings act very much like Venus flytraps. Everybody knows how a Venus flytrap, when a fly goes in there, closes up. Well, these rings exude a chemical that attract the nematode, this little microscopic like worm critter. The worm critter goes inside this ring because it's attracted by the exudates from the the fungus. 
and it fills up with fluid, trapping the nematode, where the nematode can't escape. Um, and then it exudes a different chemical that will basically break down that nematode so it can feed on the nematode. And so they're, the, you know, the roots are communicating to uh, other plants. They're communicating with the soil biology. Uh, they can actually, when they're being uh, eaten on, they can taste the saliva of the insect that they are being eaten by and immediately identify exactly what kind of bug that is and then start exuding chemicals that will help repel that bug. Sometimes, again, through the air, they will exude chemicals through their leaves that will attract beneficial insects that will feed on the bad bugs that are feeding, that, that are being fed on by that, you know, the, the plants being eaten. Is this only working in the wild, or can it occur in a cultivated field as well? Um, right now what they're saying is if you've got a, biologic, a healthy biological system, indications are that it's fine. If you are, if you are uh, growing in a system like regular conventional agriculture where there's not a lot of soil biology, um, that's not going to be the case. You need that diversity of life uh, that, we, that conventional agriculture, and if you're growing a garden with chemical fertilizers and pesticides, it's not, that's not going to work very well. This is one thing that the Natural Resources, um, NCRS, whatever, or NRCS, Natural Resources Conservation Service, thank you, uh, is encouraging more and more farmers to do is doing no-till yep. and cover cropping in order to build up that diversity and improve the soil naturally. That yep. farm soil, like any soil, it should feel like a sponge when you walk on it, not like a driveway. Yes. And you can do that through no-till and cover cropping to a lot of parts and just reducing uh, the inputs in your own synthetic inputs in, yeah, into I, the process. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was a, a, a real good article about that recently, and I can't remember who put it out. Um, it might have been the Soil Conservation. It used to be called the Soil Conservation Service. Yes. Um, and I put it on my Facebook page. Um, it, 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 you know, it's... The, the Department of Agriculture um, is really, really promoting, uh, and, and the University of California, minimizing tillage mm-hmm. and adding organic matter, even in conventional systems where they're still using synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. More and more farmers are attending these conferences where these processes are being talked about because there are more and more farmers now who have done it successfully, yeah. increasing their yield and decreasing their water use. And when you talk to a farmer and you say decreasing water use, their ears perk up. Like, oh, really? Well, tell me more. Well, and, and, they're, and they're also finding that, you know, in times of drought, I mean, we have a drought all summer long, but there are certain parts of the country where they get regular water. And if they go through a drought, they're also finding that out that if those soils that are, are being maintained either organically or, or doing this no-till, trying to improve mm-hmm. the organic matter content of your soil... Uh, they're they're much more drought tolerant. A lot of times, the organic farms and the and the farms that are following no till, and adding you know getting lots of organic matter into the soil will survive the the drought just fine. And those that are practicing conventional agriculture, the crops are lost. With, especially with cover cropping, it in the roots of the cover crops penetrate through the soil, and it helps penetrate the water level right more. So you have a, a more hydrated soil that stays 
moist longer and doesn't need as much irrigation. Yeah, and there, I mean, and there's there's lots of different kinds of cover crops mm-hmm. for, for for depending upon what your needs are. There are some that add lots of organic matter. Some of them add a fair amount of nitrogen. Others have very very deep roots that can help break up hard pan and 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 things of that nature. And so it you know it helps to know what your soil is, and then. Um, Proceed accordingly. Yeah. yeah. But for more information about plant-to-plant communication, uh, the University of California is, uh, just came out with an interesting blog report called Groundbreaking Research on Plant-to-Plant Communication, just released on July the 13th. And do an internet search for that title, Ground- Groundbreaking Research on Plant-to-Plant Communication. And it talks about uh, the work done at the Christian Nansen Lab at uh, UC and also it talks about a new book out called, uh, I just ordered the book, hasn't arrived yet, The Language of Plants, put out by University of Minnesota Press. And you can get more information about what we're talking about, plant-to-plant communication. We have to take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, take some phone calls. And uh, I want to find out more about the other part of Donna's question here. What does that mean for solo plants in a container? Yep. That's interesting. Yep. That, that That's you know how the what is it uh, the farmer Fred Garden rule number six is uh, everything we know is wrong. This might be one of those things that in the future <laughs> people may say you kept plants in containers. Yeah. Why? You know, I we don't know yet. Uh, we'll find out. It's get growing on talk six fifty KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back. Fred here, Steve there, Steve Zion. We've been talking about how plants communicate, sort of delving into this email question from Donna from Fairplay. But one of her questions we we didn't really get to, and the whole idea of plants sending out signals to indicate to other plants that, hey, there's insects around, let's do something. Uh, but what about those plants in containers? Have there ever been any studies on that? Yes, there have. How about that? And there's, there's, a, there's a wonderful book. It's, it's my new favorite book. It's called The Hidden Life of Trees. Uh, a researcher in, I, I believe it was in Germany, uh, researched what was going on and how the plants were talking to each other um, and feeding each other and taking care of each other uh, back in Germany. And he found that in, uh, in the forest, where there's lots of trees, the trees do really well. They help each other. They provide nutrients. They provide carbon. You know, they fight to help, you know, warn each other about pests. And when a plant is growing by itself, it doesn't have any help. And so it's, it's you know, it has a hard, a hard time living, basically. And it's more likely going to have a, a, a rough, hard, short life. And so being able to have other plant, other similar plants, ideally, but other plants around uh, is very, very helpful. And, it, you know, so a plant in a, container, in, in a container by itself is going to, you know, have a harder time than a plant in the garden with all sorts of similar plants or even a diversity of plants. As long as that garden is a healthy soil garden. Right, yeah. right. Because it all comes back yeah. to communication. Yeah, and and one of the one of the comments in that book that I really really like um, is, uh, and this is a quote: "When the capabilities of vegetable beings become known, 
and their emotional lives and needs are recognized, then the way we treat plants will gradually change. Everything we know is wrong. I yep. knew it. Yeah. <laughs> plants true. Plants hear, plants smell, plants taste, plants know and take care of their children. If Jerry Van Dyke were still alive, his next TV series might be My Mother the Begonia. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just starting to learn about this. Stuff. Yeah. I, I find it very exciting because I, I've believed that this was the case back in the 70s when I was going to college and working on an organic farm. And, you know, it, it's, it's really thrilling to me that there's finally research being done to see whether this stuff is really happening. And, in fact, it is. It'd be amazing if plants someday sort of replace Siri and Alexa in our lives. <laughs> well, I, I think it'll be interesting to to figure out if, if we ever, and I don't think it'll happen in our lifetimes, but if we are actually able to communicate with them. Well, that's I the, mean, the, I mean, the, I, 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 I'm not sure, but I, I, this may have been in a dream, but I think I, um, I remember reading an article where people talked to plants or people played different kinds of music yeah that that's and uh, and, and the plants common. reacted differently yeah, right yeah 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 exactly they, they like classical music yeah apparently. and so that plants can hear or feel the vibrations yeah of the music yeah. Yeah. and they, and they learned there was there there was one study um, most people know the, the the sensitive plant where you touch it it closes right. up mm-hmm. um, they did an experiment over over numerous weeks where they would drip water on the leaf and and it would close up and then it would open up and they would drip a water a couple of drops of water on it and it would close up and they would do that for a period of a week and eventually the plant learned that that drop of water was not a threat and it stopped closing up and then they stopped dropping the waters for for a month or so a, a certain amount of time i don't remember the exact time dropped the water on it again and it did not close up it knew it was that same drop of water and it wasn't going to get hurt so they are plants are learning. There's also that there, there's also this one one study that show that plants have brain-like features. For example, you've got a root growing in the ground, and it runs into a rock. Okay, as roots do. As roots do, and roots have to grow around those rocks. Well, how do they do that? They send the the, the root tip will send a chemical signal to part of the root a little bit farther back, and that root, the, the, the part farther back, will then send a signal back, this is what you need to do. You need to grow more on one side to go around it. And so there's this thinking going on within the plant. It's not, it's not atypical brain. Yeah. I, but, I never thought about that, but true, we've all seen roots that have grown around something, yep. be it a pipe or a rock or, yep. or another root or yep. whatever. And, and so, how, how? I mean, how does it know to grow more on one side so it can go around? Yeah. Well, it's it's thinking. And, and pity that poor plant at the nursery where that's getting root bound, and yeah. so all the roots are just going round and round in a circle. Yeah. And oh, don't make me feel sorry for the plants. All right. And pr- pretty soon, you're going to be able to go into a nursery, and you're going to have this special, you know, microphone kind of a thing, listening device. And you're going to be able to attach to the side of the, the container, and you will be able to hear whether that plant is happy or sad. Wow. 
Yeah, I, that would be cool. I don't, or you'll have virtual reality goggles that you'll put on, and you'll be able to tell from leaf imaging or through hyperspectral analysis. Yeah, which plants are the healthiest? Yes. <laughs> it, 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 You're blowing my mind, kid. It, it, it's it's you know. Yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago, people would think that we're we're nuts. This is Area Fifty One kind of stuff. Yeah. But this is this no. is legitimate research. They, yeah, it's just something we don't. We just always assumed we've never really thought about yeah. that much. Yeah, and now it's, we are. It's very exciting. For, I, I find it very exciting. All right. We have to take a break for news. When we come back, it's Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to uh, pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. If you're on hold with a question, stay there. We'll get to you. Uh, and what else? Uh, clue available at FarmerFred.com or get growing uh, with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And uh, we, we've given you several answers already. So if you've if you're not too overdosed on Sunday Bloody Marys, you should be able to answer the question. So again, a clue available at farmerfred.com or the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Check it out. All right. And uh Steve will be with us to eleven thirty. A little bit later on in the show, we'll be talking with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum, find out which plants are putting on a show in July at the Arboretum. All coming up on Get Growing, right here on Talk Six Fifty KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you are up on some soil knowledge. I'm up on that soil knowledge, and I like to win prizes. That's why you're the judge ineligible for prizes in today's Garden Grappler. Oh, so if I'm a judge, I can't say that I know the answer. You're wearing your prize on your head. And it is very nice. Okay, it's a... Rap man hat. From some AAA team of the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the Timber Rattlers. Is that what their name is? I believe so. Okay. And then for, for one day, they were called the Brats. Okay. And they changed their uniform. It's a very cool uniform. In honor of the uh, uh, National Food of Wisconsin, yes. Bratwurst. Yes. Or Bratwurst. Brats. Because it's cooked in beer. All right. Soil question. Name a component of soil. See, I, I can answer that. Not you. Everybody else. Oh. Name a component of soil. All five callers get from the folks at Our Water, Our World, two wonderful uh, informative brochures, Planting a Healthy Garden, and also their 10 Most Wanted Bugs brochure, which Steve says is his favorite brochure of all time. Yes, it is. And and, and you know, I work with Our Water, Our World, and of their fact sheets, the Healthy Garden is, is my favorite. Um, one of the things that you want to do in, in organic pest control is plant plants that will attract beneficial insects, mm-hmm. and those are f- typically flowers. And on the, fr- on the front page of this, they have all sorts of plants that you can plant to attract beneficial insects. Here's a clue for you. Members of the Asteraceae family. Flat-headed flowers. Yes. Yes, they, they attract a lot of beneficials. Umbra- it, umbrella flowers? Umbels, yes. Umbels. Umbels. Also, umbrella a- flowers. Uh, Asteraceae <laughs> used to be known as the Compositae family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, anyway. Uh, See, everything we learn is wrong. I know that. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, you cannot repeat an earlier answer, so caller five has it most difficult of all. Terry, you ready in there? All right, he's ready. Here are the numbers, 916-576-1578, 916-576-1578, 
or toll free 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. Name a component of soil. While you're thinking about that, let's go to the phones and uh, tackle some previous garden questions from people who are very patient, like Sushi Dog. Hi there. Well, good morning, Fred and Steve. Good morning. morning. What's up? This is, this is Sushi Dog calling from the DPRC. Okay. The, 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 I don't want to know where that is. <laughs> it's the Democratic People's Republic of Comitax, California, here in Sacramento. Okay. <laughs> and I'm seeking refuge refugee status in northeastern Nevada in a place called Spring Creek, Nevada. So you could be and close to Burning Man. I have, well... Oh, I don't excuse me, that's, that. not, that's northeastern, that's northwest. Northeastern Nevada, that's an interesting place. Okay. It's, 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 it's adjacent to the Ruby Mountains and a, a particular reservoir. I'm going to be going out there next week to possibly purchase this property, a substantial uh, buy. And I have a soil report from the surface down to 320 feet, and I want to run it by Steve. Well, give us some of the highlights of that. That sounds sure. interesting. Okay, so as probably, well, it's difficult to find power and water in Nevada properties, and fortunately this property has power and it has a well. Hmm. The well was dug in 2003, and it has a lithologic log of, the materials going down from the surface down to the 320-foot level. And I love trees. I love trees, and I want to I wanna just lush up the place because it has sagebrush and some small juniper trees currently on the property, and it's up on a hill. So here's the question for Steve, and I know this is a long shot. You know, it's a shot over the left field fence, but possibly Steve can enlighten me because, again, I'm going to be making a substantial financial investment here. It's got one foot of topsoil. Then the next uh, five feet are boulders and soil. Then the next 60 feet is siltstone. And what's interesting to me is in the next 60 after that is green clay, which I think uh, indicates copper. I'd like to have blue because blue means it's probably gold. Then the next 160 feet is siltstone, and then the the rest down to 320 feet is silicified rock. Now, living in Las Vegas in a previous life, I've noticed that there's big, big uh, palm trees and stuff growing in all that desert sand. So what can Steve and... and the static, the static uh, level of the well that's down to 340 feet, but the static level is 187 feet. So I'm up on this hill, and I want to be able to plant all kinds of trees, Steve, and, you know, just make it really, really, really nice. And so what can you tell me from the lithologic log that I just described into what I may, might be getting into? I'd like to hear a water test. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, Push comes to shove, the quality of the water is going to be the most important thing. And, you know, a lot of the water in, in areas like that, the quality of the water is not very good. It's very... It has alkaline, a, probably. Alkaline has yeah. a lot of salts in them. Yeah. And and uh, so then you're adding a lot of salt to the surface of the soil, uh, which kills the soil biology. It can be damaging to the roots. It's going to raise the pH. Um 
Did you say that you're, this is in Spring Valley? No, no, no. It's called Spring Creek. Spring Creek. Now, this is not the area where Las Vegas is attempting to uh, put a pipeline to in order to get water, is it? I have no idea, but there is a reservoir. I mean, up on the hill, it says I could see some reservoir. I forget the name of it. And uh, there's some mountains around there, but that part, I, I don't have any idea. You, you, now, you might want to look into that, because um, they're serious about building that pipeline from northeast Nevada and take that water all the way to Las Vegas, and that could seriously impact that aquifer. Yes, uh, uh, thank you for that, because I'll be talking to my real estate agent in a couple of hours from now, and that's one of the things I will bring up. I mean, I do try to do extensive research into properties, you know, as much as I can, hydrology and what for, whatnot. But um, so since, uh, you know, the topsoil aspect, Steve, it says one foot of topsoil, if junipers and sagebrush are growing there, I mean, it has to be like pretty bad soil, what they call topsoil, sandy, and then uh, the siltstone is, you know, I, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to grow as many trees as I can, but as far as the water's concerned, I, you know, I'd have to be able to draw a sample. My daughter can run the sample test for me. You know, she can tell me exactly what's in that water. So, but I, I'd have to buy the property prior to, you know, finding out what kind of water it is. Is there, and, is there any town nearby there that is growing trees that are not native to that area? You know, Fred, I've never been to that area, and the Spring Creek, well, I'm, I was very much um, intrigued by your Fallon, Nevada uh, uh, observation, yes. Yeah, 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 I was very, because I, to be honest with you, Fred, look, in, in two, I have two years to, to complete this transition over there, and believe me, I have looked at probably high hundreds of properties, and that's what I was looking at also. However, you know, and I have full military uh, access to the base there because I'm a disabled vet, 100%, and so that was going to be one of my first choices so I could be near the, the, the Fallon base, the Top Gun base. But um, I'm just interested in uh, what this lithologic log report means to Steve. Well, not not a whole lot. Yeah, because I, you know, it, it, you know, just saying that you have topsoil really doesn't say anything. Right. The fact that the the fact that junipers and sagebrush are go- growing there indicates to me that uh, those are two plants that really like salt and yeah. and can tolerate salt. And I would I would look I would check that property out very carefully and the surrounding properties for any sort of other life you see there as far as trees go to give you an indication of what can grow there. Yeah, and, and I, I you know I've been spending time there, there's there's a gentleman that I know of, he's done done a couple of YouTube videos and he goes he's going around the world um, talking about uh, reversing desertification you know re, re, regenerating the soil. By bringing, you know, by basically planting trees and things of that nature, and I think he would be a real good research uh, resource for you. Did you look uh, that up? I can't find it. Okay, I don't remember. Right. You know, next time you come here, have the information. Yeah. All right, hey, sushi but, dog, we got to run here because we're up against the clock. 
But, okay, well, and lastly, I really enjoy you guys' humor. And, Fred, I knew you in a past life when you were the radio show host prior to your heart surgery, and I loved you then, and I love you now, man. But I think I'm the same guy. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay, thank thank okay. you. All right, good to hear from you. All right. Uh, this is an easy question, folks. Name a component of soil. We gave you all sorts of answers. The numbers to call, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Plenty of open lines. Name a component of soil. It's the Garden Grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Steve Zion from Living Resources Company, we're in the midst of the Garden Grappler. All you have to do is name a component of soil. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you just cannot repeat an earlier answer. Steve, you ready to judge this thing? Sure. All right, good. Let's go down to San Diego, talk with Karen. Karen, go ahead. Give us a component of soil, if you will. Hi. How about microbes, like bacteria or fungi? Sure. That, that's two. You, you gave us two. Ooh. That's Ooh. okay. That's okay. All right. <laughs> Very good. All right. So we, we've got for everybody today, all five callers, get uh, from the Our Water, Our World people, how to plant a healthy garden, and their uh, brochure on the 10 most wanted bugs, the garden good guys that you want in your yard. And what I love about that brochure is the fact that it has uh, all the life stages of the good guy, so you recognize them because the kids don't look anything like the adults. Or, and in some cases, yeah. eggs. Eggs, yeah. True. Uh, good job, Lynn. Great. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Who's caller number two in Garden Valley? It's Roberta. Hi, Roberta. Hi, Fred. Oh, yes, I got several, but I'll only save one. Thank you. All right. How about how about air? Perfect. Air. Some, something people in Sacramento forget quite often needs to be in your in the, in the soil. And I guess too, something we didn't mention earlier that it's very important that after you've watered your lawn or watered your garden, don't walk on it. Yeah. Because that'll yep. squeeze the air out. All right. Hey, good answer there, Roberta. So I'll be sending you all that stuff. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Caller number three in today's Garden Grappler, it's Lynn in Alta. Hi, Lynn. Hi. 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 You sound questionable, like uh, maybe I don't have an answer. Well, they took my sorry. They took my answers, but I will say uh, rocks. Steve? Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I will accept that because the rocks, <laughs> uh, especially in, in areas like Loomis and Rocklin. Yeah. Uh, rocks are a component of that soil. And if we have time, we're going to get into that uh, email question from Mark and Wilton, who wants to know why he can't put his soil probe in his Wilton soil, because it only goes down to two inches, because it's all <laughs> rock below that. <laughs> uh, you, I think the short answer, Mark, is, yeah, you can't. Yep. All right. But, uh, yeah, rocks, why not? And Because rocks are made of minerals. Yep. Okay. Good answer, Lynn. I'll be sending you from the Our Water, Our World people uh, planting a healthy garden and the 10 most wanted bugs. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. And let's go to caller number four in today's Garden Grappler. It's John in Fallbrook. Hi, John. Hi. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Doing fine. Uh, so uh, thanks for coming in from the Avocado Grove to talk to us. 
<laughs> and kiwis, and avocados ki- and kiwis. Oh, yeah, man, I, I will always be mad at kiwi for never growing in my Harold Kiwi expensive vine system that I installed. I had one crop in 20 years of trying to grow kiwi. And it was just, you just, Same problem you had with avocados, if I remember. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm having that now in Folsom. Is the the uh, avocado population in my backyard is down to one tree now. Uh, the uh, the uh, Zutano or the Mexicola is still alive, and the other one perished. So, so John, go ahead, give us a component of soil. But, well, I didn't hear any of the other ones other than rock. I was on. I was trying to get in. Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what other, other people said. They said microbes, and then Karen in San Diego went on to say, like, fungi and bacteria. And then Roberta in Garden Valley said air. Lynn in Alta said rocks. And I think, Steve, there's oh. plenty of more. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So, John. Nematodes. Nematodes. Sure. It's, I mean, it's a type of biology, but, yeah, they're, 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 it's, I would accept that. And nematodes are both good and bad, right? Well, it, dep- it depends on the nematode. Yeah, right. Yeah, because exactly. I, I don't know of any nematodes that are either, you know are both. No, they're they're but, either a, a beneficial nematode or, or one a, that's going to suck the life out of your roots and yeah, your plants. Yeah, but you know, it, it, you know, if 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 I was Mother Nature, I would say they're all good guys. But from from a gardener point of view, there are good guys and bad guys. Yes, depending on what you want to grow, because yes. some nematodes just have a natural attraction to some plants and they actually nematodes don't suck the life out of the roots what do they do to roots uh they chew on them and they i i believe they actually get inside them and and form little nodules yes yeah little nodules are those the nodules that come off very easily i don't know because i was trying Um, to remember one of the tests to determine if indeed they are nematodes that have attached to your roots, or if it's actual nitrogen that has attached to your roots. Well, um, typically, the, the you know, like the, the question would be, does that kind of plant have an association with the nitrogen-fixing bacteria? And, and most plants do not. Yeah. And so, if you are getting those nodules, like on a tomato plant, a tomato plant doesn't have the association with the microbes that would produce the nodules that manufacture nitrogen. Tomatoes are not a nitrogen-fixing plant. Yes. Okay. And so if you've got nodules on non-nitrogen-fixing plants, it is most likely a nematode. Yeah. It, I just somehow in the deep recesses of my brain recall something about along the lines of if those nodules come off easily from the roots, they were nematodes. That, that could be. I don't, okay. I don't know. John, I'll be sending you the stuff from Our Water, Our World that will work just fine where you are in Fallbrook. Well, thank you very much. You guys have a great show. I I, I look forward to hearing it every Sunday. Me too. Thanks for uh, tuning in. All right. Uh, bye-bye. Bye. All right. And caller number five in today's Garden Grappler, it's Don in West Sacramento. So, Don, if you've got something other than nematodes, rocks, air, fungi, bacteria, microbes that can be found in the soil, name it, I have for you. Uh, a, a wonderful new book called The Grumpy Gardener by Steve Bender. Go ahead, Don. How about, how about nitrogen? Yeah. Nitrogen, yes. Nitrogen, part of the gases that make up uh, the air content yep. of the soil. And uh, nitrogen is a gas. It's also a liquid. A liquid. Yep. It's not a solid, though, is it? I don't think it's a solid in the soil. I, yeah. But but it is it, it is a liquid. Um, you find it in like fish emulsion, for example. Okay. 
and uh, it is actually the major nutrient that the plant needs. It need it's it's the nutrient that the plants need the most of for green it, growth for 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 anything. Yeah. Well, not um, for fruit production. Well, but it still needs. I mean, but in order to have fruit production, you have to grow the plant. Right. Um, it, and it, it is utilized the most. It is also typically the most common for it to leach out of, with, when you're overwatering. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll leach down below as, unless you have a really good, uh, effective soil biology population that will hold on to it. Yeah. And, uh, um, well, Don, over there in West Sac, I'll be sending you that book, uh, The Grumpy Gardener. Okay, that's great. Thank you for playing our little game. Appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, bye-bye. And uh, Steve Zion has to head off to uh, to go, for some unknown reason, to spend a, a day that's going to approach 100 degrees standing next to a 3,000-degree furnace. Yes, it's it's fun. And then, then it, you know, when you're standing around outside, it doesn't seem hot at all. I will be blacksmithing at the California State Fair. Uh, at the blacksmith experience, the blacksmith experience um, on the farm, which is in the back of the state fair, behind buildings. What is it? B and, B and C. C. Yeah. Um, look for the big water tower, and we're just west of the water tower, and it's a really great exhibit. They've got drought tolerant plants. They've got a insect pavilion, uh, garden plants, a lot of the crops that are growing yeah. in, in California, yeah. so you can actually see what. They've done a bang-up job improving that area in the last few years to more readily represent uh, agriculture in California. Yeah, it, 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 it's, a, it's great. And they've got a blacksmith booth, so yeah. you can see folks uh, pound hot metal. How about in, the noisy old tractors? Are they still there? Uh, I was there on Friday, or no, on Thursday, and I did not see any tractors. Any old, the noisy old tractors no, or whatever no. those things. That they, you would they, fire they might up. have a couple, but I, okay. I didn't see them. Are they still giving away trees? I would imagine the forestry exhibit is probably still giving away trees. And of course, the uh, Sacramento County Master Gardeners are there every day during the run of the fair to answer your garden questions. Just a stone's throw from the blacksmith booth. All right. Well, stay cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for your participation. It's in, been fun, Fred. This, Thanks. This event. All right. We learned a lot today. Thanks. When we come back, we're talking with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum. Find out what looks hot in the Arboretum in mid-July. We'll do that when we return to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Every month we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum, and we usually chat with him over on the KFBK Garden Show. But you know, there's just so many plants out there that are putting on a show, we have to kind of divide Warren up, much like King Solomon. He does half the plants on the KFBK Garden Show, and the other half a little bit later on the morning right here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. So, Warren, let's uh, pick up with the uh, July showstoppers out at the Arboretum, and let's start with uh, the one that we finished up with over on KFBK that is uh, very common in our area, and people love it for its summer blooms, and that's the crepe myrtle. The crepe myrtle, Lagerstroemia, and its hybrids. <clears throat> Gosh, it's, it, there's hardly a, a better, more useful small tree Although in time they can get big. I remember seeing one in Japan that was about 50 feet tall. Great color and very few problems. Beautiful bark. All kinds of good things about this tree. And it likes the heat. So it's not as popular on the coast. 
where it tends to get some mildew for the blossoms and so on. But it's it's kind of the seasonal. Oh, I guess the the common colorful tree of the Sacramento and San Joaquin Valley. Yes, it is. And lantana is also in full bloom. We have the hardier one, lantana monovidensi, which comes in a kind of a lavender mauve color, very nice. Uh, and then the, the other colors, uh, red, yellow, and, and white, and so on. One little word of caution, though. The leaves uh, uh, bother some people kind of like poison oak does. You don't have to wade into it. Um, just enjoy the flowers. <laughs> it's, it's a great, useful plant for this area. Wow, that's a good word of warning. Yeah, from, from Warren Roberts. Yes. <laughs> uh, Lobelia laxiflora, the red uh, or Mexican lobelia, a great hummingbird plant. doesn't look anything like the uh, South African blue lobelia. This is taller. I, I sometimes call it a hybelia just because it's taller. Uh, the uh, flowers are red with orange. Mandevilla laxa, the Chilean jasmine, mainly it's from Argentina. I've always gotten a kick out of the fact that even the, the Chileans, even the Argentinians call it Chilean jasmine. Um, and it looks, it's kind of like Easter lilies on a vine. The fragrance is similar to that. It is related to oleander, um, but it, uh, the, flame, the flower structure is similar but a, a very fragrant plant. By the way, oleander is also very fragrant. And that brings us to oleander, nerium oleander. Uh, and, uh, the, the oleander and the cray myrtle are about the most colorful plants uh, for summer in our area. And the, the oleander is toxic. Some people get a little bit of dermacoxic, uh, you know, skin rash from it, but, but just it's, it's not something to eat. It can cause heart failure. It's not very tasty, so in a way, it does not too much worry. The other word of warning I would have about uh, oleander is if you're pruning it, don't burn the prunings. No, because the smoke can be um, very irritating. The walking iris, Neomerica carulia, this is a sometime thing. When it is in bloom, it's the most beautiful flower in the garden, kind of like a blue or lavender blue tigridia, if you can imagine, on the two, two and a half foot stalk. So if you're lucky, you'll see it in flower. If not, then you want to come back and take a look. (laughs) But it looks kind of like a giant iris with great big sword-shaped leaves. Anyway, it's it's a great plant for semi-shade, I think. This is a plant that's getting a lot of notoriety out there at UC Davis because there is a very small list of plants that do well in dry shade. And the walking iris fits the bill. It doesn't require that much water and thrives in the shade. It does. If you give it a good soaking every two weeks, it should be fine. It comes from a part of South America, which usually gets rain, but doesn't always. So plants from that area are (coughs) adapted to low water regimes in summer. Pelargonium cytoides, not usually um, on the spectacular flower list, but it has dark maroon flowers. Right now we have a patch of it where it, it just, you see it and it kind of makes you startled. It's startled because it has gray leaves and these beautiful maroon flowers. What, what, yeah. is, what is the genus and species of this plant? Oh, Pelargonium cytoides. But it is, it's an important medicinal plant in South Africa and it's kind of a cure-all for a number of things. It is available medicinally. You can, you can get, to get it as an herb. 
The Penstemon bacchirifolius from Texas, the rock Penstemon, <clears throat> looks a lot, from a distance, you'd think it's a, it's a California fuchsia because it has a similar appearance. But, uh, tubular red flowers, again, another hummingbird favorite. The Perovskia hybrids, this is the uh, 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 Persian sage or Russian sage, um, is kind of past its prime now. Uh, this is a great tough plant. A little, uh, a little bit enthusiastic in the garden. I've not seen it terribly weedy, but uh, caution. And uh, a, a sort of a phosphorescent uh, lavender-colored um, flower. Plumbago auriculata, the plumbago, uh, blue, sky blue, or white are the color choices. Roses are still in bloom. Um, gosh, roses are one of the best plants. For, for this area. People think roses are difficult, but not in our area. They're, they're easy. And you can prune them or not. And when you do prune them, wear long gloves. Yes. <laughs> Especially if you're older like me. Rudbeckia, black-eyed Susan, is also looking very nice now. And Rosellia equisitiformis, which is the coral showers uh, plant, uh, looks like it's leafless almost. The, the leaves are small and fall off, but the whole plant is green with these bright red tubular flowers. Again, that's a hummingbird plant. Salvia Clevelandi, Winifred Gilman, was on my list last month as the, as the most spectacular. It's still in full bloom, still is spectacular, but not quite, not quite as much as it was. And the fragrance is also very notable on this plant. The California native shrub from uh, Southern California and Northern Baja California. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite native plants. A little bit brittle. If you have enthusiastic dogs, this is probably not the plant for you. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't need much water. It's, in, you know, it's native to San Diego County. So in the late summer, it can be a little bit dormant. If you give it a little water cautiously, you can keep the bloom going. You have to be cautious, though, because it is, uh, likes very well-drained situations. And Vitex agnus castus. This is... Um, the chaste tree, so-called because shepherds noticed in the area that it's native, the Balkan area, that the rams, uh, the ardor of the rams toward the ewes diminished in uh, response to the rams uh, grazing on this plant. It's also called monk's pepper because during the Middle Ages it was used to reduce the um, <clears throat> enthusiasm of the monks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's also a medicinal plant, and it's very tough and easy. The leaves look like marijuana leaves, and the flowers look a bit like uh, butterfly bush, but um, uh, not as many color variants. It can be white, pale pink, or um, almost uh, blue-violet, a beautiful shrub, and it can make a small tree with very interesting bark. Warren, I guess, I guess we should point out that a lot of these plants will probably be available at the fall sale. A lot of them will, and that sale is on September the 29th. It's a Saturday, and it goes from 9 until 1. The first part of the sale is for members, although you can join at the door, and the advantage is you becoming a member with all of the perks that that brings. Plus, you get first choice at the sale, which is always nice. And then the sale is open to the general public at 11, 11 to 1. I, oh, by the way, the membership you can buy at the door easily. And then uh, from 11 to 1, it's open to anybody. But those, we have beautiful plants. Oh, my gosh, the nursery. I was out there uh, recently, and it is absolutely gorgeous. 
so many plants, beautifully grown, and um, the, the uh, uh, I think you'll enjoy coming to the sale. Lots of enthusiasm, lots of beautiful plants. It's the UC Davis Arboretum Plant Sale held at the teaching nursery there across from the veterinary school. And it'll be on Saturday, September 29th. And uh, it's a great opportunity to buy some plants that are very well established. We should point out that planting in the fall is the ideal time for putting new plants in the ground because uh, the ground is still warm, but the air is a little bit cooler. And these plants have been growing there at the teaching nursery uh, for all spring and summer. So they're well established. They got a good root system and uh, they're ready to start growing in your yard. That's right, and and you'll have a lot of fun, and, and you'll be able to get some plants that maybe nobody else has on your block. Warren Roberts, always a pleasure talking with you, finding out what's in bloom at the UC Davis Arboretum. If you want more information, visit their website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren, thanks for your time, and stay cool. Oh, you too, Fred. Thanks so much. So thank you so much for your time. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Coming up after the news at noon here on KSTE, it's the KSTE Farm Hour. And there is good news for California's almond growers. Uh, The 2018 crop is over 1 million acres now. That's a record. And this year's harvest is going to be the biggest ever as well. Over 1.1 million metric tons of nut meat But there is some bad news, and I bet you can guess what it is. It's that tariff battle with China, and China is responsible for buying 12% of all of California's almond production, one of our biggest customers for almonds. The cost of sending those nuts to China may be going way up, and so that means they have to find some uh, other markets to sell their California almonds. And conversely, there's a lot of other countries that are growing almonds, not to the extent California does, But still, those other countries are eyeing that Chinese market as well. And so we'll be talking about that. And we have details on how that fire started over in Yolo and Napa counties, the county fire that burned over 90,000 acres. They have determined what caused it. It's an agricultural-related reason. We'll talk about that. And if you're biting into a pluot or an aprium or any number of plum, peach, or nectarine varieties that were developed by Floyd Zager down in Modesto, you'll appreciate our little tour of Zager Genetics down there in Modesto, the man that developed that plum apricot cross, the pluot, as well as the aprium, and, and, and so much more, too. And so this is the time of the year for enjoying the sweetness and juicy qualities of all those wonderful, tasty stone fruits. And uh, Floyd Zager, responsible for a lot of them. And we'll take a tour and find out how they do it down there at uh, Zager Genetics in Modesto. That's coming up a little later between noon and 1 o'clock on the KSDE Farm Hour on this very radio station. Don't forget, this show is available as a podcast, as is the KSTE Farm Hour. You can find it at kste.com and listen to it, stream it anytime you want. You can find it on the iHeartRadio app, stream it anytime you want. Download it from your favorite third-party podcast aggregator, such as iTunes. It's there, So, so go for it. 
All right, uh, garden events, what's going on? Well, today, until 3 o'clock, the Sacramento Iris Society is holding a sale of recently dug iris rhizomes. And that's going on at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, also known as the Sacramento Art and Garden Center, at 3330 McKinley Boulevard in McKinley Park in Sacramento, in East Sacramento, across the street from the tennis courts. Hundreds of varieties of irises will be available. Each specimen will be labeled with the cultivar name and a description of the flowering appearance. And they'll have a large selection of rebloomers as well. They'll have a demonstration table set up to show how rhizomes should be planted. A labeling station will allow you to prepare a free permanent garden label for each of your rhizome purchases before you leave. And uh, they would like to remind you that irises are both deer and drought resistant which makes them ideal additions to your gardens. There, I said that without making fun of irises. <laughs> but in, in our new residence, <laughs> we have planted irises. For one thing, my wife didn't want me to throw out this one iris that was already there. It is a beautiful white iris. And you talk about a plant that can take abuse. I mean, this poor iris, last well, probably last July, I dug it out of the ground with a bit of soil and threw it into a pot and just left it there. Yeah, I'd throw water on it. I'm not cruel. And then this following year, the next year, like a few months ago, I saw it sitting in the pot in the corner. I go, oh, I guess it's time for me to plant that. So I did. It bloomed. It's alive. It's well. And then that little demilitarized zone between me and my neighbors, that little strip between driveways, uh, which is sort of, the community garden, if you will, for the two of us. You know, I, I put in penstemons and uh, some other plants, and uh, my neighbor put in irises. I believe in peace and harmony. So I said, okay, that's fine. And it is fine. It's fine. And then for some reason, my wife found some more iris rhizomes somewhere in the yard and decided to put them in pots, and they're growing. So no matter what I say, no matter what I do, I will always have irises in my life. I can deal with it. All right. Coming up Thursday, the Master Gardeners of Sacramento County will be at the Farmer's Market at the Florin Certified Farmer's Market at 5901 Florin Road in Sacramento from 8 a.m. to noon. Is it high time for Farmer's Markets? Yes, it is. What do you want? You want fresh fruits, apricots, nectarines, peaches, plums, pluots, apriums, whatever? It's available now. You want tomatoes, you want peppers, you want zucchini, it's available now. You want fresh-cut flowers, it's available now. You want uh, any number of things, all sorts of uh, root plants, greens that are being grown in the Bay Area. Most farmers' markets are carrying those. Farmers come from about a 100-mile radius to the various farmers' markets around the Sacramento area. So you always find things that might be suffering if they were growing in Sacramento proper, like a lot of greens and uh, that's a great way to get some fresh greens this time of year is from all those uh, growers that come over from the Bay Area. And uh, there are farmer's markets available throughout the Sacramento area. Of course, the big one is open for about another five minutes today. The uh, Sunday morning farmer's market at 8th and W Streets in Sacramento, 8 to noon. And that, that is a huge market. But there are markets uh, throughout the area just about every day of the week. And if you just... Uh, do an internet search of the phrase California Certified Farmers Markets. Uh, up will pop a list of the one nearest you in the day that it is open. A lot of seasonal farmers markets as well that are only open May through September or October. And 
those are going uh, full speed right now as well. Uh, by the way, the um, did I mention that the Master Gardeners will be uh, helping you find sustainable solutions to your gardening questions at their information table at many of the farmers' markets, as well as the Master Food Preservers. They've set up shop at a lot of the farmers' markets as well to help you answer your food preservation questions. Speaking of that, uh, the Master Food Preservers of El Dorado County have a class next Saturday on kombucha and shrubs. I, I th- When I saw that, I go, well, that's weird. Why Kombucha is a drink and shrubs? What do shrubs have to do with kombucha? Well, it turns out shrubs is derived from the Arabic word sharba, which means a drink. It's an old-fashioned favorite. Shrubs have steadily made a comeback in the last several years. Shrubs are a fruit syrup preserved with vinegar and mixed with water or alcohol. Oh, I got your interest now, huh? To make a tangy, 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 (laughs) refreshing beverage. You can make a shrub syrup at home. It's a fun way to preserve and play with seasonal fruits using practically any fruit you have on hand. And you can use the brightly flavored syrup in salad dressings and homemade jam or as a glaze for meats. And it's called shrubs. And kombucha, which is a lightly effervescent cider-like beverage. You can learn how to make them both at this class put on by the El Dorado County Master Food Preservers. And it's next Saturday, 9 to noon, at the Bethel Delfino Ag Building at 311 Fair Lane in Placerville. You can call them for more information about that class. There is a $20 fee and pre-registration is required you can call them to pre-register or do an internet search on el dorado county master food preservers uh, for that link or you call them 530-621-5506 master uh, food preserver class uh, put on down in stockton and it's all about peaches and that'll be going on at their uh, Headquarters at 2101 East Earhart Avenue in Stockton, the Cooperative Extension office there down by the Stockton Airport. 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. next Saturday, there is a $25 fee for that class, which means you're going to be uh, making something with peaches, it sounds like. All right. What else is going on? Oh, You know, I mentioned earlier the farmer's markets that are around. and Among the ones that are open on uh, Tuesdays are two of them, one in Roosevelt Park and one in Fremont Park in Sacramento. The downtown Sacramento Farmer's Market on Wednesday in Chavez Plaza at 10th and J uh, is open on Wednesdays, 10 to 1.30. Thursdays, there's two, the South Sacramento one, the Florin Market that I talked about, as well as the uh, downtown Sacramento Capital Mall Farmer's Market on Thursday from 10 until 1.30. Saturday, there's all sorts of farmer's markets going on. Uh, there's one in Natomas on the Promenade in Elk Grove at Laguna Gateway Center at Laguna and Bighorn. In Fair Oaks Rancho Cordova at the Sunrise uh, Light Rail Station, Arden Arcade at Country Club Plaza. And also, there's a good farmer's market in Folsom on Saturday mornings as well in historic old Folsom. Thank you for listening to today's program. I appreciate it. Stay tuned for the KSTE Farm Hour. That's next. And uh, hey, I guess I'll, I'll come back and do another show next week. Why not? If they let me, I'll be here with another thrill-packed episode of Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.